Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. One of the president's ride-or-die defenders is legal advisor Jenna Ellis. It's such a political prosecution and a political persecution. Quote. This, to me, is a clear violation of the Fourth Amendment. It's revisionist originalism. Tolerance just isn't a two-way street with the Democrats. And I think that tells you all we need to know. Newsmax contributor and former legal counsel to President Trump. Jenna Ellis. Well, good morning and happy Monday. It has been a really long weekend for <laughs> for the news cycle. I have actually been waiting all weekend to uh, rejoin the show and to talk about a few things that have happened since uh, Friday and since we were last together. And, of course, CPAC, the um, conservative gathering of um you know, a lot of different people, and, and of course, President Trump was there, uh, happened at National Harbor uh, right across uh, the border there in uh, in Maryland, but very close to D.C., happened over the weekend. Um, this was the first time we were all back at that location uh, since the CPAC gathering that was right before the COVID shutdown. So um, it was, I'm not sure nostalgic is, is really the right word, but um, it was a little bit, uh, I guess, hearkening back to the good old days um, before, you know, we realized that people like uh, Fauci would be lying to us and um, governors of, of blue states and even some of the red ones would uh, shut things down and all of that. But um, but overall, it was um, it was a great event. And um, my, my good friends, uh, Matt and Mercedes Schlapp, of course, um, the, the chairman and his wife of CPAC, uh, had me as their guest, which was very kind of them. Um, be praying for them because, um, as you probably know, uh, there is a an allegation um, against uh, Matt Schlapp that um, you know we we all, of course, as conservatives, believe in the presumption of innocence until proven guilty. And um, you know, I've had a different disagreements uh, with Matt over the years on different policy issues, um, various Twitter things, which you know that's pretty normal and that's I think that's standard even for friends who are on the same uh, side of politics and policy. Um, But there's an allegation from uh, one of Herschel Walker's uh, staff members in Georgia um, about an incident with Matt Schlapp. And it appears that that someone and and whoever, you know, this particular individual that's an anonymous person um, is attempting to basically me too, uh, Matt Schlapp and their family's gone through um, quite a lot. And, um, you know, for people who have known him and his family for a long time, um, you know, this is, is something that um, I think is an, is an outrageous allegation. And, um, you know, we're going to be praying for their family. They have um, five beautiful daughters and, you know, regardless of, of the truth or the merit of any allegation, it's always hard on, um, on kids and, and um, you know, people who get caught up as kind of the, the tertiary um, victims of all of the political um, chicanery that goes on and, um, and some of those things. So anyway, uh, CPAC happened. And of course, there were a lot of people there that um, when we come to conservative events like this, um, we always have to remember that conservative doesn't necessarily mean Christian. And anytime that I go to some of these events, I'm always reminded because, you know, there are after parties and different things that, you know, I'm invited to and various, um, you know, that that aren't necessarily sponsored by the organization, just, you know, various groups of individuals that are there. And, you know, you know that um, people are offsite and, um, you know, doing doing things and, you know, drinking and um, and smoking weed and, you know, some of these other things that would never happen at a at a Christian gathering. And so, 
Um, so I always, I always go away from these things, recognizing and realizing the importance of making sure that when we talk about what it means to be a conservative, we're also advocating that the worldview of conservatism and the philosophy of conservatism that is built on a foundation of truth has to be built and founded in and rooted in the biblical worldview. Because while others certainly who are not Christians, um, they could be, whether it's atheists or any other uh, religion that is not biblical truth, uh, while anyone certainly can advocate for conservative principles and philosophies in all types of various subjects, whether it's limited government, it's capitalism, it's, um, it, you know, in any sort of philosophy, it's economics, any any of those policies, uh, those things then become isolated from the root reason that we as Christians would say the Christian worldview mandates that we find the best form of government to preserve and protect the rights of all human beings that are made in the image of God. And so we have a consistent worldview and there's a reason beyond, well, empirically or from a utilitarian premise that, um, or from just a a self-interest standpoint, then we want to be pro-capitalism. And, you know, I think Rush Limbaugh was one of the best examples of someone who was so right on in virtually all of his arguments for conservatism. And and I was a Rush baby. I mean, I grew up listening to Rush Limbaugh and um, holding him as, you know, this kind of icon of um, certainly talk radio, but also of conservatism and of espousing uh, the correct political philosophy. But until really the end of his life, um, he didn't espoused to be a Christian. He did not profess to be a Christian, but he was very, very much conservative. And it's interesting if you talk with someone who is not a Christian, but they're conservative, how they justify those various philosophies. And the justification ultimately comes back to relativism or a, well, I think this is the best for humanity based on Uh, these special interests or based on um, the lack of harms or the advantages or the outcome-driven differences of whether it's capitalism versus some other economic theory or why we have to secure rights of the individual or clearly it's based on um, the science in terms of being pro-life. But the argument then, if we take it and decouple it from the Christian worldview, then the conservative movement as a whole and each individual subject matter and area that we're promoting or promulgating this philosophy, then we have we have really uh, abdicated our moral high ground, literally. And so we then go down to a plane that is a an, one of genuinely being um, equal in terms of saying, if it's a relativistic worldview, then I have to advocate for my philosophy as much as the leftist or the progressive person that's arguing something totally different. They have the opportunity to advocate for what they're doing. And they could say, well, here's, here's why the advantages outweigh the policy positions that you are suggesting. And when we do that and we abdicate that that moral high ground and say that our philosophy 
as conservatives isn't rooted in truth anymore. It's rooted only in what we think is best and from our perspective is best, then we are simply arguing uh, based on a level playing field. And we should never do that as conservatives. Um, We should, especially as Christians, always remember that we have to come back to the position of being founded in truth and founded genuinely in morality. And uh, one of my good friends, Michael Knowles, who I'm sure all of you know from The Daily Wire, and um, he's actually been a friend of mine for years um, before he went to Daily Wire, um, before I worked for President Trump. And, you know, we we occasionally sit around and go, wow, remember back in the day when we could just sit at a you know local diner and, you know, we were talking about things we would do later and, you know, it's not all of this. But, uh, but he is and has been a great advocate for the principles of conservatism being rooted in biblical truth. And um, he is a Catholic, um, but he, of course, shares the um, theological perspectives um, for the most part. And, you know, we can obviously in the theological context talk about why um, most of us who listen to this program and, and of course, um, AFR and AFA, we are distinctly evangelical Protestant uh, Christians, and that's on purpose and that worldview and, and um, biblical theology. But we do overlap with um, with Michael Knowles to to a very, very substantial degree. And for purposes of this conversation, it's very important to recognize that Michael Knowles is advocating for policy and for conservatism based on biblical truth, not just because he thinks it's the best thing for civil society and for humanity. So he's taking on the whole transgender movement. And Daily Wire, I think, as a whole is recognizing that this particular aspect of the leftist worldview is one of the most dangerous uh, to civil society. And how we have to combat this worldview and policy that is um, that is now being litigated. I mean, there was even a... Uh, a story in the Daily Mail that came out just yesterday that um, the USA Powerlifting will now allow transgender athletes to compete in women's division uh, after losing a multi-year-long court battle in Minnesota. So this transgender female, which means a man, filed a lawsuit um, a few years ago accusing the organization of discrimination for banning him from competing. And the court this week ruled that USA Powerlifting was, quote, making a person pretend to be something different. Literally, that's, that is what the opinion said. And therefore, USA Powerlifting had violated the Minnesota Human Rights Act. So as we sit back and we look at some of this legislation and some of these uh, progressive leftist insanity that has been advanced in our culture and is now starting to be codified in legislation and cemented in precedent of court opinion, we have to go back and recognize how dangerous this philosophy is if we are just trying to attack the ideology based on our perspective and what we as conservatives think is good for civil society. We have to go instead a level much deeper and say fundamentally this is a lie. I could not believe that a court actually ruled that 
discrimination against a transgender individual was, in their words, making a person pretend to be something different. Like that, that's just, that's, that's exactly opposite from reality. So Michael Knowles um, had some commentary on, uh, at CPAC, and he was talking about eradicating transgenderism. Those were his words. And, and I think um, we're actually almost out of time in this segment. So I'll have to play this at the top of the next segment. So, um, so definitely stick around for this. And I'm, and I'm going to have my uh, good friend, Ron Coleman, who um, is an attorney that you will know from Harmeet Dillon's uh, group that is out of California. Um, and he was actually at CPAC as well. Um, he's going to be on and we're going to be talking about uh, this and some other, um, you know, very important uh, case law and other legislation um, and, and other things in the next segment or two. Uh, but I want to talk about first this whole idea of getting to the root of the issue of why we as Christians are advocating against these exact types of opinions from courts like Minnesota. So when Michael Knowles talks about eradicating transgenderism, those are his words, he's talking, of course, about the term itself and the idea itself being remotely viable in society. And of course, predictably, the mainstream media takes this completely out of context. And and I'll play the clip when we come back uh, from the break in the next segment. But of course, they they say, oh, this is genocide. This is like, you know, Nazi Germany. He's talking about eradicating transgenderism, meaning, you know, he wants these people not to even exist and he is denying their humanity. And, you know, oh, they're all they're all just, you know, up in their in their woke um, pearl clutching. And of course, that's not what he means. Um, But they're not even trying to grasp the concept. They are very easily trying to target anything that he's saying against transgenderism as an ideology, take the words out of context so that they can build this dialectic that we can't even possibly have a conversation about the lie of transgenderism because doing so makes us basically equivalent to Nazi Germany. It's insane, but that's what the leftists want. They want to just totally shut us down. So Daily Wire is, of course, suing um, these outlets and Uh, And and I'll play this for you when we get back, um, Michael Knowles and what he actually said at CPAC. So stick around and we'll be right back with more right here on Jenna Ellis in the Morning. The following is not an actor, but a real-life story from Trinity Debt Management. I'm Corey, and this is my story. I was going through some financial troubles paying off my credit cards. I was paying high interest rates, and it just wasn't getting any better. And I knew I had to do something. So my mom told me about Trinity, and so I decided to call. Trinity was able to do something that I couldn't. I'm paying off my debt, I'm saving thousands, and things are really looking up. I promise you guys, you will not regret it when you called Trinity because it was such a relief and less stress in my life and it was the best thing I could have done for myself because once I called Trinity, they took care of me and I felt such a relief, a weight off my shoulders and they are a Christian-based company. I love it. (laughs) 
If you're in debt and you need help, call Trinity at 1-800-788-1813. I'm Corey, and I'm debt-free for keeps. 1-800-788-1813. Persecuted believers in Asia, they love their enemies and they count it all joy to suffer for the Lord. This is Bible League International. Abir is a former Islamic leader in Bangladesh. When he became a believer, he was beaten, verbally abused, his home was vandalized, he was forced to move to another city, and he was labeled a traitor. But he holds to the precious promises of God he reads every day in his Bible. I asked Abir, you were beaten, you were cast out. It's so easy to hate people that do this to you. He said, no, I love them. Most of us here in America cannot relate to the level of persecution that Christians like Abir in Bangladesh and others throughout Asia are facing on a daily basis. Let's send them the word of God they need and crave to be able to endure and persevere. And that's why we're holding this campaign, Fan the Flame. $5 sends a Bible, $100 sends 20 every gift matched. Call 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD, or give it sendbiblesnow.org. Sendbiblesnow.org. And God bless you for caring. Hello Americans, I'm Todd Starnes, live from CPAC. Stand by for news and commentary next. Liberty University's K-12 Online Academy is the best of a homeschool, private school, and Bible-based education all rolled into one. With LUOA, you can take charge of your child's learning environment and create a structured yet flexible schedule that works for your family. Our qualified teachers are easily accessible for guidance and support along the way. And with new classes starting every Monday, it's never too late to make the switch to LUOA. To learn more, text LUOA to 88741. That's LUOA to 88741. Folks, I've been covering classroom chaos for more than two decades, so not a lot surprises me. But what happened the other day in Springfield, Ohio, is just jaw-dropping. A group of black children at Kenwood Elementary School ordered white children to get down on their knees and say black lives matter. Those students who refused to obey were dragged onto the playground and beaten. One white child was punched in the head. It was all captured on video, which you can see at ToddSterns.com. The Springfield Police Department confirms a number of children were assaulted. The local NAACP president says the attackers should be held accountable, but should not be arrested. Well, I completely disagree. Not only should the kids be arrested, they ought to face hate crime charges. And let's get real. Had white kids been dragging black kids through the playground? The NAACP would have a very different opinion. In Washington, I'm Todd Stearns. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back, and if you are just joining us, good morning and happy Monday. And we are talking about uh, CPAC, of course, that happened over the weekend uh, in National Harbor. And um, I had the opportunity to go, which was uh, a great event. And Michael Knowles, my good friend from Daily Wire, spoke from the main stage and was talking about the lie that is transgenderism and uh, the lie about Uh, how all of the policy that is being shaped and the litigation and the legislation uh, that is being promulgated by the left is arising out of our uh, conservative uh, tendency to simply talk about transgenderism as bad for minors, which of course it is, and we're all against uh, the so-called gender-affirming care, which is literally just uh, genital mutilation of minors. And we are all against that. 
but he brings it to something that I think is much deeper, which is that transgenderism as a whole is a lie. And so uh, just yesterday, when I was I was reading through the headlines, a court in Minnesota actually ruled last week that the USA Powerlifting Organization will now have to allow transgender athletes to compete in the women's division because, as the court said, the USA Powerlifting was, quote, making a person pretend to be something different, which is the exact definition of what transgenderism is, is a person pretending to be something different, but <clears throat> that the powerlifting organization was making a person pretend to be something different. And if they did not allow transgender athletes to compete in a women's division, they are violating the Minnesota Human Rights Act. Uh, totally absurd. So Michael Knowles is taking this head on. And this is what he actually said at CPAC. And listen to this very closely and then realize as you're listening to this how easy it became for the mainstream media to, I believe on purpose, try to miss the point that he was saying so that they could shut down conservatives from talking about transgenderism because, you know, we're bigots and we're basically like Hitler. But this is exactly, specifically, what Michael Knowles said. This is cut to. The clearest example of this is the battle over transgenderism. On the one side of the debate, you've got the liberals who argue that third graders should be taught to change their sex in schools. On the other side of the debate, you've got the conservatives who say that we should wait until fourth grade. Doesn't seem like much of a difference to me. The problem with transgenderism is not that it's inappropriate for children under the age of nine. The problem with transgenderism is that it isn't true. The problem with transgenderism is that it puts forward a delusional vision of human nature that denies the reality and importance of sexual difference and complementarity. The problem with transgenderism is that its acceptance at any level necessarily entails the complete destruction of women's bathrooms, women's sports, all of the specific rights and spaces that women currently enjoy. There can be no middle way in dealing with transgenderism. It is all or nothing. If transgenderism is true, if men really can become women, then it's true for everybody of all ages. If transgenderism is false, as it is, if men really can't become women, as they cannot, then it's false for everybody too. And if it's false, then we should not indulge it, especially since that indulgence requires taking away the rights and customs of so many people. If it is false, then for the good of society, and especially for the good of the poor people who have fallen prey to this confusion, transgenderism must be eradicated from public life entirely. The whole preposterous ideology at every level. So that was Michael Knowles from Daily Wire speaking at CPAC over the weekend. And clearly, he he says we are talking about eradicating transgenderism, the ideology, at every level. And he's right. If transgenderism is true, which it's not, but if it's true, then it is true for everyone. If it is false, 
then it is false for everyone. And there is no middle way. I agree with him on this. And so I want to bring in my good friend, Ron Coleman, who has been standing by. He is a partner at the Dillon Law Group, um, a wonderful, brilliant attorney. And um, there are not a whole lot of attorneys that I actually uh, like and like to to hang out with because of a lot of attorneys, you know, about 99% of attorneys give us 1% a, a very bad name, as I like to say. But Ron is one of my favorite people. And um, and Ron, you were at CPAC uh, this weekend, and I don't know if you sat in on this full speech with Michael Knowles, but I agree with him that transgenderism as an ideology, we can't have a middle way. We can't just partially say, well, it's fine for people 18 years and older. This is the same argument that pro-life advocates have been advancing for years, saying that if a human being does not have personhood at any arbitrary stage after conception, then why can't we arbitrarily move that line uh, for basically any, at any stage or any moment in the natural human life? It's the exact same premise. And how do you respond? Well, Jenna, you're, you're, you're right. Uh, there is a very effective technique that the left has used for the, since before you and I were born, which is to incrementally move what they call the Overton window. And first, you had this idea that it was possible to do a sex change. And I remember decades ago in, in the famous but somewhat controversial book, uh, Everything You Ever Wanted to Know About Sex But Were Afraid to Ask, in the early 70s, the author of that book said, whatever they're doing in a gender reassignment surgery, it's not changing the sex of the person. We've gone from that unusual and controversial medical oddity to the idea that everyone at any time can decide, contrary to common sense, contrary to biology, science, and of course, contrary to the word of God, um, that they can be what they want to be, not what they actually are. And I'm remi- it's very ironic that, that, that you're talking about this, because I, I just left the morning, uh, morning services, and, and it was a little bit extended this morning, because today is the fast of Esther for observant Jews. And what, in the story of Purim, uh, in the Bible, what, what Mordecai tells Esther, her, her uncle, and Mordecai, of course, and Esther are the heroes of the story, is that you can't pretend not to be what you're not, and you, you can't pretend to be something you aren't. You must, you have a destiny to, to, to fulfill, and that destiny, in, this, in the case of Esther, was to save the Jewish people from extermination in, in, in ancient Persia. Um, Whatever it is, whether it's for good or for bad, the way God makes us, the may, the way God makes us is what we are. But the and and Michael, as usual, a friend of mine as well, and also my client, uh, he he nails it. Michael says it like it is, and that is a, an absolute damning challenge to the entire ideology that he's speaking out against. Yeah, very well said. I'm talking with Ron Coleman, who's a partner of the Dillon Law Group, and. You, you, it's it's such a false premise to suggest that we can have a middle way and that there is uh, room to say, well, you know, trans rights are human rights and we need to lump this in um, and sexual orientation, gender ideology uh, into, you know, and, and SOGI um, language into the Civil Rights Act and the, the measurable difference between the sexes and all of these um, you know, these different discriminations because the transgender lie cannot 
um, to borrow a phrase from the left, coexist, right, with other um, expressions of and exercising of our rights. Um, and because, as, as Michael Knowles says, this permeates society and it will eventually require, we're seeing this happen already as we speak, it will require concessions from not only women's sports, women's bathrooms, um, anywhere that is supposed to protect the measurable difference between the sexes, um, marriage, all of these things, churches, um, employment issues, all kinds of things. Exactly. We will then, this as is a exactly society, the strategy. yeah, yeah, when we will be compelled then to affirm this lie. Well, this is actually the flip side of the argument that the so-called civil libertarians of the ACLU have been making for the last decade or so, which was that that annoying old First Amendment, which protects religious rights, um, has become quote weaponized by religion. Uh, and religious institutions uh, hiding behind it, so to speak, as, in their words, as a way to deny other, quote, rights. And the idea that, that these preferences and this kind of conduct and this sort of medical malpractice, uh, and malpractice is putting it very, very lightly, um, is a right as opposed to a sort of conduct and a sort of you know, a complex of, of extremely destructive behavior and, 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 and moral choices. You know, we have eroded the use and understanding of the word rice, right so profoundly that, our, that the, the rights that have been enshrined as inviolable in the Constitution are considered to be on the same level as rights that are just thought up by activists. Right. And and this is where I see a danger, um, and especially in terms of potential litigation that, you know, is already happening, but potential litigation down the road by saying and acknowledging that transgenderism and this whole LGBT agenda is a religion, because I do think that they are going to weaponize this as some sort of free exercise type of clause, not just in um, and, and weaponize the free exercise clause in the sense that um, that if this is a religion and if they say this is what we believe, then we are not as a society then allowed to say you can't practice your religion and we have to therefore accommodate it, acknowledge it and allow that to exist in society where Michael Knowles is saying there isn't a middle way. And so where do you, because you're, you're a great attorney on the First Amendment issue, where do you see you. that potential road headed in a, in a direction that would be very dangerous judicial precedent? Well, it is dangerous. And I had actually, ironically, this precise discussion the last time Michael Knowles was on my show, on my podcast, um, because we were talking about the decision by the U.S. Supreme Court holding correctly that there should be uh, th that the city of Boston may not discriminate against Christians by refusing to fly a Christian flag uh, on the supposed ground of the supposed wall between church and state, which does not exist, as you know, anywhere in the First Amendment, um, if they're going to fly every other kind of loony flag, not every other kind of loony, Christianity is not loony, every kind of loony flag and every kind of 
you know, ideology, as long as it's not a religion. And that was the beginning of getting into this question of where do, where do, do are there any, is there, is, there, is there a point at which a court, and, and when we say a court, we ultimately mean the U.S. Supreme Court, stops deferring, as it logically has for the last 250 years, for, for very good reasons, to the idea that as long as someone claims to be a bona fide practitioner of a religion, whether it's supposedly Satanism or supposedly uh, or, or Scientology, things that are that are not religions, is it, is it appropriate to defer to that endlessly? Or do we say at a certain point, we've got to start using words in the way that they're understood among native speakers of that word, and not starting last week or last year, but for all of history? Because you're right, right now there's nothing stopping everything from becoming a religion. And, you know, it's true that if people believe in something with faith, and it is not amenable to empirical proof, like transgenderism, and in fact, even if it's contrary to empirical proof in some cases, that there is a, a religious aspect to, 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 to their belief system. But that doesn't make it a religion. We've got to, to confront the fact that in a society where words have lost meaning and traditional faiths have themselves lost the ability in many circumstances to even stand up for their own beliefs, that the judiciary, which has so far been great on freedom of religion and great on freedom of speech, is going to have to start drawing lines in areas it has never wanted to draw lines. Mm, that is such a great point. I'm speaking with Ron Coleman, who is a partner at the Dillon Law Group and uh, host of your podcast. Remind me the name of your podcast, and it's very clever. Coleman Nation, like my name and yes. the word nation. Coleman Nation. It, it's it's a pun that I've never really been able to capitalize on because what is it that I'm culminating? That I is, it's, I, <laughs> and it was great, and I knew that it was, I knew that it was one of those puns. But uh, but yes, yeah, so Coleman Nation, <laughs> and um, and speaking of podcasts, uh, Michael Knowles will actually be on my podcast, the Jenna Ellis Show, later today. So for more on his take ah. on uh, transgenderism, tune in to that uh, today. You can go and subscribe at the Jenna Ellis Show anywhere that you stream. Rumble is uh, one of the best. Hit the subscribe button. We'll be right back with more with Ron Coleman. Uh, This issue about uh, transgenderism and then also Florida legislation that could also be very dangerous for the First Amendment, but uh, in a little bit different way. So we'll be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the morning. God has set his heart on the person that is listening to us right now who is at the very bottom and they've lost a job, a child has died, and they don't feel like life is worth living. God has set his heart on you. Even when we're not worthy, we are worth something to God. Exploring the Word, weekday afternoons at 3 Central on American Family Radio. 
Without a doubt, King Solomon was the wealthiest and wisest man to ever live. So what did he have to say about successful living? This week on Pathway to Victory, Dr. Robert Jeffress turns to Solomon's book of Proverbs for wisdom about raising children and planning for the future. Join us for the series, The Solomon Secrets, all this week on Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress. Weekday mornings at 6 Central on American Family Radio. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Your poverty will come in like a vagabond and your need like an armed man. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. Amazon CEO announced a rollback of the company's remote work policy and will now require employees to come into the office to work in person at least three days per week. Employees were furious. More than 14,000 of them joined an internal company communication channel to express their anger due to the policy change. Nearly 80% of those 14,000 employees claimed they would start looking for new jobs. Others drafted a formal petition against returning to the office. Amazon employee terminations may be next. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. In churches, and a lot of churches today, the issue of identity is sort of like the big elephant in the room. It's in the news, but it's not in the church. So if it's in society, it needs to be something the churches are addressing. In His Image, delighting in God's plan for gender and sexuality, is now available for church screenings and events. Every person in America needs to see this. And all pastors need to show this to the church, get the people informed. If the church and Jesus isn't the answer, where is the world going? We want the message of the film to touch as many hearts and lives as possible. And we'd love to join with you to bring the film to your community. So let's say you have a small group or your church, or we've even been bringing the film into some prisons. We want to partner with you. So what we'll do is we'll send you a special kit and it's completely free and it'll just have some extra resources to help you promote your event. To find out more about how to host an event, go to inhisimage.movie and click on the host an event tab. That's inhisimage.movie. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back, and we're talking about this whole idea of transgenderism being a new religion, uh, but also there's some danger in describing it as a religion for purposes of First Amendment protections. And this is where uh, Ron Coleman, who is my guest, uh, he is a partner at the Dillon Law Group and a brilliant First Amendment uh, litigator, said something very important before the break uh, that I want to touch on before we move on to um, to the second topic that I want to get his comments on. And it's this, um, Ron, you were saying that the court, ultimately the Supreme Court, is going to have to draw some bright lines that they haven't in the past because um, religion, in the sense that we have contemplated it previously under the First Amendment, includes not only traditional organized religion, such as Christianity or Judaism, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, um, those types of organized religions, but also religious beliefs that are new, they might be uncommon, not part of a formal church or or sect, um, subscribed to by just a small number of people. And the the whole idea of religious tests um, have traditionally been that the court doesn't inquire necessarily into the adequacy or the uh, the traditional organized part of the religion, 
but that it is a faith that the adherent subscribes to. And so when we're talking about transgenderism and when we have um, even parents, like I was watching a clip from PBS that aired, um, I believe it was over, over the weekend, but at least within the past week, parents of a transgender child were advocating for this so-called gender affirming care by saying that their child was transgender before the child could even speak. So they're obviously going down this road to say, well, you are... <laughs> ironically, born that way. You were born transgender, and they firmly believe this. And so we are already seeing the courts take this whole idea of transgenderism and shroud it in the context of human rights or civil rights, which is incredibly dangerous for society and unconstitutional um, in, in that sense that it's being contemplated. But if they go this step further, and actually say that this is under a free exercise of religion, where do you think that the court, ultimately meaning the Supreme Court, needs to and can draw those bright lines? Oh, gosh, I wouldn't. I mean, there's a lot of scholarship, as you know, addressing the religion, the religious test and you know, the problem we have here, you know, it's, in a way, it's not so different from the problem that the court faced in, in, in our case uh, involving the slants and the, and the other aspects of the First Amendment, which is free speech. It wasn't when the Lanham Act, the trademark registration law, uh, federal law was passed. It wasn't necessary to worry about, as the government unconstitutionally had found itself doing in more recent years, whether or not certain kinds of disgusting words and offensive or derogatory words would be registered as a trademark because there was there was something called decency the society was premised the laws were premised the constitution was premised on fundamental decency and washington recognized and and he was not a person who was a particularly religious uh, Christian, but he nonetheless, I think he was a deist like a lot of the founding fathers, but he nonetheless recognized that the republic that was being founded was premised on a, on a godly people. So if you have a world in which people are unashamed to file four-letter words as prospective trademarks, or you have a world in which people are prepared to say, Oh yeah, I'm a Satanist. I live in the suburbs. I have uh, a nice, uh, you know, three quarter million dollar house, and my children go to the best schools. And I'm a partner in a major accounting firm, and um, we're and we're Satanists. And everyone just nods his head. We don't ha when you don't have standards. It is a problem that we're looking to judges to provide us with those standards. So I don't know how they're going to answer those questions except to go, and this was the point that Michael made when we had this discussion, go back to how these words and concepts that are the subject matter of both the Constitution and of statutes, what these words were understood as meaning when they were enacted into law or as part of the Constitution. And, and that's really well said. And I think the the problem for the courts, and we shouldn't be looking to judges to inquire into the adequacy of 
religion or what religion means um, any more than they should inquire into what is um, the adequacy of a traditional marriage. But that has, of course, gotten us into trouble uh, with things like the so-called Respect for Marriage Act and saying, well, if the court can't define what a marriage actually is, and that's the province of the church, then the court can't define any other standard. And, and But this is the problem with a pluralistic society that is unmoored from basic decency, from objective moral truth, from having words mean uh, what they mean and say what they say, because then you have this problem with transgenderism and this idea that if free exercise or human rights um, really don't mean anything, then what is the limiting principle that doesn't foreclose genuine free exercise, genuine speech. And this is where we're getting into a lot of complications. And I actually want to use this as kind of the segue into a topic that I want your commentary on um, in the last about 10 minutes that we have here. Um, There is a Uh, There is legislation and a bill in the state of Florida from one of their state senators that could require and and is being put forth a proposed bill that would require bloggers who write about Governor Ron DeSantis or other elected officials to register with the state or face fines. Um, This, to me, is fundamentally unconstitutional. It's absurd. And even our good friend uh, Newt Gingrich tweeted yesterday and was trending on Twitter because leftists couldn't believe that somehow he's not just subscribing to everything that's under the banner of Republican. Um, But actually, we, we do see some of these limiting principles. And he tweeted, the idea that bloggers criticizing a politician should register with the government is insane. It is an embarrassment that it is a Republican state legislator in Florida who introduced a bill to that effect. He should withdraw it immediately. I agree. And I think that even though um, my understanding is that Ron DeSantis's office has not commented on this, they're not promoting it in any way. Um, but on the flip side, Governor DeSantis has not expressly said he disagrees with this. And I think he should have a commitment to not sign this because it is so dangerous. Well, you're 100 percent right. Uh, you know, m- my understanding um, from reading some comments from my friend uh, Brandon Leslie is that to some extent there's a little bit of spin going on here because the idea was that if someone is being paid to uh, to, to uh, take certain positions that there should be transparency um, but that simply isn't good constitutional law um, and, and and I have been actually I years ago wrote an editorial in in uh, one of the law journals um, not a an academic law journal, one of the newspapers lawyers read, um, to the effect that the, the, what were at the time proposed rules that the FDA, ultimate, I'm as far as the Federal Trade Commission, ultimately did adopt requiring that social media influencers um, disclose when they are endorsing a product or service for purposes of um, uh, promoting it. That they should, you know, their users should know that it's a paid endorsement. And I said, you know, users should really be able to figure this out for themselves. Uh, first, you know, one of one of the issues in constitutional law that this touches on is whether there's a difference between so-called commercial speech and non-commercial speech. And this is how that slippery slope eventually, you know, tends tends to confuse people. Because it, it, 
the courts have upheld this, the general proposition that you have to disclose if you have to, you have to disclose you that you are a paid promoter, uh, whether it's on the radio or on television. Uh, this is you know this is an advertisement. You will see those wor- those words blinking on a YouTube video all the time. But the fact of the matter is, people are paid. People have all kinds of incentives to do all kinds of things. Sometimes they're in cash, but sometimes they're in social cachet. Sometimes they're in political or or professional um, uh, advancement. Basically, people should be allowed to say and endorse whatever they want to say and endorse and let the buyer beware. That's the way it should go, whether we're talking about influencers pushing purses in fashion or uh, political bloggers and uh, tweeters or whatever the case may be. I mean, you know, you and I both know how many, the massive number of incredibly high follower account uh, Twitter accounts are bought and paid for by the Democratic National Committee or its affiliates um, simply to give people the impression that a real person is tweeting things and that it's not a political message. We, we don't require disclosure there, and we should not require disclosure there. People should be able to, let, to, to, to say what they want, and as I say, whether it's in, in, in this marketplace of ideas or the marketplace of stuff, let the buyer beware. Yeah, and, and I think that it, you're absolutely right. Uh, Ron Coleman, who is a partner of the Dillon Law Group and hold, hosts the Coleman Nation podcast, which is excellent, and everyone should uh, listen and subscribe there. But but you're right, and I think in this you, kind of hyper, uh, of course, of course, and, and this you know kind of hyper... Um, influencer-driven culture where everybody is is on notice of, you know, these different celebrities that wear merch because then, you know, they get kickbacks or they get it for free or, you know, whatever it is, because you're you're totally right, right. that there's it's not necessarily in a contract form or a payment form. Um, this type of influencer thing can, can be a lot of different things um, in terms of whatever the exchange is. And people are so aware of this. And, and it's, it's funny because as you're talking, I was even thinking about people who respond on my Twitter. And, you know, people have over the last, um, especially this weekend, when I've been tweeting about, you know, President Trump, who, of course, spoke at CPAC. And then I've been talking about um, Governor DeSantis, who, um, you know, I've now met. And I'm talking about Vivek Ramaswamy, who's a good friend. And, you know, it's been so interesting as I've continued tweeting people who are so completely convinced based on one tweet that like I'm bought and paid for by one campaign or another. And none of that is true. I'm, I'm not paid by any campaign. Um, I've previously worked for Trump, but I'm not paid by any campaign um, to post anything on, uh, you know, for right. any, any candidate. But people are so hyper aware that this type of pay for play goes on that I don't think that we need to have these type of disclosure rules. And everyone, I think, is very aware, especially because of the last, um, you know, four years of of President Trump, um, before Joe Biden, of course, uh, that the fake news media is also bought and paid for with a perspective. Nobody thinks that if you turn on Fox News versus CNN, that you're going to get the same type of news coverage. Everyone knows that they have a 
bias based on who their board is, based on who their advertisers are, based on a lot of different things. And so I wouldn't be in favor of, you know, these types of bloggers, if they're commenting on public officials having to register with the government and have this type of disclosure, it goes against the very fundamental notion of the freedom of the press. And, you know, I I was reminded Ron Coleman of, you know, our founders when they were talking about government and when we they were just contemplating the formation of our government wrote under anonymous names. I mean, the, you know, this was certainly yeah. they wouldn't have wanted to register with um, first the, the government of, um, of of the British royal crown or the new system under the Articles of Confederation um, to advance their propositions for the Constitutional Republic. I mean, all of this offends the very notion of why we have freedom of speech and freedom of the press to begin with. You know, transparency is a real challenge to our traditional notions of liberty because it seems like a really good idea for good government to have disclosure. And there's no question that we learned during the 19th century that if if there were not a certain level of disclosure in public life, that people would uh, buy and sell all kinds of public benefits, uh, including, of course, government favors. And that's a problem. But once you get away from government, uh, you know, think about, for example, the idea of that all trials and all judicial um, proceedings are presumptively open. What that historically meant was that if someone was properly motivated, they could take a trip to the courthouse, ask for the file, look at it, take notes, so that there were really no secrets in terms of what happened in the courts. But what it means today is that given that just, just about every court system, both state and federal, is now largely uh, electronic and accessible immediately from anywhere in the world at any time, mm-hmm. that these, this level of detail about private transactions, private businesses, private offenses, divorces, family outrages, become matters of literal right. public interest and, almost immediately. And, and we are out of time, Ron Coleman, but thank you so much for your perspective. So much more to discuss on this. We'll have Ron again um, on very soon. Listen to The Jenna Ellis Show today for Michael Knowles, and we will be back tomorrow with more on Jenna Ellis in the Morning right here on American Family Radio. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.